we're gonna make this so college students can go work at McDonald's. Nope, this was made so people could live on. And at some point we strayed from that. Still the same exact conversation. You can be paid as little as $2.13 per hour in America in 2021. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Social Discord, episode 20, The Least You Can Do, The 90-Year Battle Over Minimum Wage. I'm Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. We're doing a little bit of a lighter discussion episode today after our heavy hitter on private prisons. Uh, Yeah, it's something that's incredibly topical right now with uh, Biden. It's one of his main policy standpoints that he's trying to get pushed through during his presidency. And uh, I know it uh, met some complications with the uh, relief bill. Um, I know they were trying to put the $15 minimum wage in there, and it's got snagged uh, on its way to the Senate. But uh, yeah, so that's what we're talking about today, the minimum wage. Uh, Curtis, why don't you go ahead and take us off? Essentially, the minimum wage battle has been going on uh, for a really long time. And, uh, you know, it kind of feels like an episode of Lost, like when you really start getting into it, because you do all these flashbacks. And and, like every time you read about something in the news today, like you can instantly sort of find its uh, side by side comparison (laughs) when it first started. (laughs) (laughs) Um so yeah, um, you know, minimum wage, uh, you wouldn't think it would be necessarily a controversial thing, but it, it just, it just never, this, this topic just never goes away. Like, uh, it was originally, um, enacted in 1938, uh, when Congress made a new rule, uh, which established that, uh, a minimum wage that could be paid for somebody's time and labor. And it also added some other things that we enjoy today, such as, uh, uh, Forbidding child labor and things like that, the 40 hour work, yes, work week. Something we enjoy today, forbidding child labor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like I always say, you know, to anti regulation people and libertarians is, you know, the regulations that you enjoy, you don't think about. Like right. you just think it always was that way. People just naturally were good people and people just naturally gave this, you know, of themselves. And just, I mean, that's not how humans work. Uh, you know, there's no hundred percent, um, you know, thing that all humans do. Like, you know, if, if even though I think most people are good people, you know, or at least have intent, good intentions, you know, there's always going to be that percentage, sometimes somewhat large of people who will, you know, do whatever they can to save that penny and, and, uh, and, you know, get that little bit more of work out of their employee or hire the, the child labor and do all these different things. Um, and that's and because we're not angels. We have to set these standards. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, we, I, what I do want to do is include the argument against minimum wage because there is a pretty good argument against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, so it's not like I'm just a hundred percent, you know, for government regulation, but I do think that there is a place for it and minimum wage might be one of the best, uh, regulations that we have. Well, and, and you brought up an interesting point. We, it's, it's common regulation is commonly referred to as, you know, a Republican's worst enemy. And you, you, in our notes here, you write the question of what if regulations on minimum wage wasn't thought as anti-business or anti-capitalism. Um, you know, what if the problem is basically that the regulations are being set by politicians and not necessarily being set by 
um, economic experts, which literally every, basically every country in the world that has a minimum wage, it's not decided by politicians. It's decided by economic commissions and experts and people who don't necessarily have like a foot in the game. Right. And, you know, and one of the things I have to like tip my hat to with conservatives is, you know, a lot of times they say that it's, you know, shouldn't be politicians making the decisions for small businesses and all that. And I feel like this is kind of the the half measure compromise between those two things, because you don't have, you know, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump or whoever, you know, who have really don't have aren't experts on these on these ideas. Um, you know, running the show and deciding what is a good minimum wage. Um, instead, you have it, you know, you have a commission. Um, they are run through the government, but they spend all their time figuring out what's going to make sense for the economy. And they actually don't just guess at it. They base it on, uh, you know, tangible numbers, um, things like, you know, what is the uh, average pay in the private sector at the time, you know? So if, so if, you know, on average this year, uh, you know, the, the private sector is paying, you know, $15 an hour or something like that. And, and the government is, is way below that. And the government's going to be like, you know, you know, the average is, is much higher. We need to bring it up so that everyone is sort of on the same, um, kind of plane, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as each other. We, we look at some of the leaders that are in the country in terms of states that are raising the minimum wage and taking on different standards of doing that. And, you know, it's California, San Francisco, Seattle and Washington. Um, I know Portland took a pretty strong stance in that. Carrie, you're from Portland, right? Yep. Did, yep. It's always been quite high, much definitely always higher than the minimum wage since I was in high school. What did you see? Um, what was Did you see any effect of that? What like? Just watching the news, hearing about that um, in Portland, how does that compare to where we are now? You know, I haven't lived there for a while, so I'm a little out of touch. But in high school, you know, I was getting jobs that were $10, $12 an hour, and I was able to save that money and start doing stuff with it. So coming to Texas, it was a real shock to realize that people could pay, you know, $8 an hour, and that was perfectly legal. I can hear the conservative at home yelling, like, $14 an hour in Portland is not going to get you much like, but like, did it at the time? Did it, did it seem like it was properly adjusted for what the cost of living there was? Well, here's the thing. I was a high school student doing, getting minimum wage or, you know, just above minimum wage because the market essentially set it that way. Right. Um, I felt like that was great for a high school student. Um, but had I been working 40 hours a week, I'm not sure it would have got me there. And so I guess that's a big question I have is, is the minimum wage meant for 40, 40 hour workers? Unfortunately, as a high school student, I couldn't work 40 hours. So those jobs had to be filled by someone. Um, and I'm not, I'm just not sure those someones were able to make do with working full time there. Seems like a lot of business owners don't think about it in terms of like, am I paying this person enough to make it worth their time? Right. You know, um, like, I, I'm a business owner. I try to think in those terms, mm-hmm. but every job I've had, I can just tell that that they're just kind of phoning it in. They're just paying me whatever they have to. Um, they're not really thinking like you know, is this person making seven twenty five an hour? Um, whether it's for twenty or forty, you know, hours or whatever it is, like, is this really helping their life? Like, is this really you know feeding their kids? Is it really sending them to school? Is it you know are they are they able to sustain? And, and, and I, and I've, I've really never had any job like a regular job 
myself that ever seem to care that much about that. Have you guys ever had anybody care? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's tough because I've never, I've never had a pay increase or pay change or anything that was done altruistically for basically the company saying we're doing this because like it's going to be good for you basically it's it's either i earn this position i'm getting this raise because i'm in a higher position or you know the company maybe needs to raise their pay to attract more employees because they're having too high turnover or they're not attracting employees i i've never had the experience of kind of an altruistic pay raise (laughs) You know, what's funny is um, one of my previous jobs, which was easily the most toxic job I've ever worked. It was in the hospitality industry. I was on call legitimately 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 3 a.m. calls sometimes to to answer things. I was so underpaid and I knew it. But when I left and I told them, hey, I got a new job and I'm leaving this magically, they offered me, you know, 10, 15 K more to stay. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. This whole time you knew I was worth 10 or 15 K more. So was mm. that, was that on me for not negotiating better? It's Which like when you're trying to get away from your cable subscription and they're like, literally, like oh, half as much? <laughs> I'm so mad because I'm like, you guys obviously had the budget and knew I was worth it. And you're not speaking up until I'm leaving. And if you knew how much you appreciated me, it would have been my loyalty would have gone through the roof. And I would have put up with a lot more if you said, look, we know you're worth 10 K more rather than waiting until I was like, peace out, bitches. This is the worst job I've ever had. You know, one of the things that they always tell you when you're in business is that if you're going to raise your prices to keep up with inflation, which is going to happen no matter what, it goes up like the same percentage every year, no matter what, um, if is to, you should go ahead and do it gradually rather than do it all at the same time. Um, you know, so you don't want your, whatever your bread loaf or whatever you're selling for $2 today to be $6 tomorrow. You want to, you know, every year go up that like 25 cents or whatever to, so that you keep up with inflation and it's worth as much as it was last year. Um, you know, so one of the problems I've noticed in researching this episode was that America's real problem is that we put this off as much as we possibly can until it's to the point where people are not able to survive on what the minimum wage currently yeah. is. And that's not what the other countries do. You know, right. I, um, part of it. excuse me. That's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. We put it off until we can't. I mean, yeah, basically and, and, all and the we have to vote on it every single time. Um, yeah. The, in, in our notes, if you take a look, um, I can't remember what source it is. I think it's right around. Um, I think it's this YouTube video we have here, but it shows a graph of exactly what you and, uh, Kara has said, Curtis of, it shows the line of minimum wage increasing and then it flattens and then increases and then flattens and goes down, increases, flattens, and, and it's just, they do it and they're like, oh crap, we need to raise it. And then they let it slide, 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 slide. And that's just how it is. And unfortunately, it wasn't always like that. It was from 1938 to 68, it had gone up with inflation um, or to, I think it was 78, sorry. And then right after that, it stopped. <laughs> And and what happened then? You know, um, conservatives took over for Reagan economics. Years. Quite yeah, honestly, economics. Um, it but always comes back to Reagan. I always say that. Like, <laughs> if I ever write a book, it's that's what I'm going to call it. It always comes back to Reagan. <laughs> like everything, it just seems like it goes back to that. The whole generation, the whole baby boomer like generation, goes back to Reagan. 
You know, I, I, I just find the argument too interesting, Curtis. I know you just kind of brought it up that, you know, it would increase when it, when it has to and we absolutely can't anymore. And I know that one of the arguments against the minimum wage is, well, the cost of living is going to go up extraordinarily high if you pay everyone X amount of money. And that might be true, but the cost of living is already going up no matter what. Right. So to me, that's not a super great argument because the bread cost is already going up. So either you leave people behind or, you know, we, mm-hmm. we figure out how to level it out. Well, and it's always too late too. That's, oh, that's yeah. the problem. Like, like by the time you, you make that change, it's already not worth as much as it needs to be. It's similar to like in a city, you know, uh, if you've ever been lived in a growing city, uh, you know, you'll start off with a highway that's like two lanes or whatever. And then like, there's a huge, you know, population explosion over 10 years. And then suddenly they need another lane. But by the time they get done with that, that was new lanes, they already need more lanes again, <laughs> you know? So you never get the benefit of like, of, of the minimum wage raising because it's so far behind. And, and when that happens, it's such a huge spike that everyone feels like they have to adjust their prices or whatever in order to pay it and businesses freak out. My my f- absolute favorite thing that I see on Facebook um, are like the memes of like, oh, minimum wage goes up to $15 an hour. All of a sudden, you know, a gallon of milk costs, you know, four sixty three, you know, whatever, some crazy price for a gallon of milk. But then you look at the statistics for basically the rise in cost of for goods and the consistent lack of change of minimum wage. Minimum wage stays basically the same, you know, give or take, and the cost of goods just is on a gradual incline going up. So it's like everything's still going up. It's just that the minimum wage is not going with it. Which um, makes me think that inflation is not 100% caused by what people are paid in their salaries. Yeah. There's no, a, not at all. There's a quote here from uh, an article uh, from uh, MIT Um, that discusses uh, living on the minimum wage, and it says, the minimum wage does not provide a living wage for most American families. A typical family of four, two working adults, two children, needs to work nearly four full-time minimum wage jobs, a 75-hour work week per working adult to earn a living wage. Single-parent families need to work almost twice as hard as families with two working adults to earn the living wage. A single mother with two children earning the federal minimum wage of seven dollars and twenty-five or seven dollars and twenty-five cents per hour needs to work one hundred and thirty-eight hours per week, nearly equivalent of working twenty-four hours per day for six days to earn a living wage. Wow! And so it's, it's just not built to survive on. And I and I I see the argument of people saying that the minimum wage is not built for families. It's not built for someone to thrive on. It's built for entry level you know, high school kids, college kids, whatever. I'm like, that, but- that argument is so weird to me because like I just told you guys, it, it made sense for me in high school to be making 10 or $11 an hour. It was great, but I couldn't work 40 hours a week and somebody had to work 40 hours a week to keep this thing going. So they had to have full-time employees. Like they had to have people working 40 hours a week for consistency, for continuity, because they simply couldn't find enough people to work odd, you know, four or five hour shifts. And so somebody has to work that. You're telling me that it's always going to be high school or college students? I I just don't buy that. I mean, would it solve the problem if there was some way to make a law that said that you can't pay minimum wage to anyone except for entry level high school or college students or something like that? Like, Like, you know, that at some point, 
you 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 can only do it for so long or something. Yeah, like after know. a year, are you still entry level? Probably not. Would that just make them fire them or something? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, and then get the next college student student or I don't know. It'd probably be some trickery there. Here's my yeah. thing though is, and it's a common argument of oh, you don't want to make minimum wage, get a better job, and it's like okay, well. And, you know, not everyone has to get a college degree to get a good job. Everyone can be, you know, you can get a plumber. You can, you know, start, you know, go to trades. You can, you know, be in a vocational career. I'm like, but also, I'm like, not everyone could be a plumber. Not everyone can be an electrician. Not everyone can do, you know, everyone starts off from a different slate. I'm like, so some people are going to be working in McDonald's when they're 45. Some people are going to be, you know, doing these minimum wage jobs. And I'm like, but is it that, like... Is that their fault? Like, at what point do we have to be like, all right, this is a scenario that people are in. They deserve to have a livable wage no matter what. Well, not only that, but I believe that if you're working 40 hours a week anywhere and you still have to work, you know, X amount of hours on top of that to even put food on the table, that's a problem to me. I don't care what you're doing. If you're working that much and you still can't even afford the basic necessities, we've got a problem. Well, and it's all, it's so confusing. It's just like the COVID rollout, you know, uh, where like every state's handling it different, you know? So like, like the problem is, you know, we're so big on states' rights in this country more than I think any other country I can think of, (laughs) you know, we have everyone that wants to do it their own way and not have anybody else coming in and telling them how to do it. But the problem is that, you know, the, the cost of living in, in, in one part of the country versus another part of the country is drastically different. Like some of that is because, you know, everyone working there is making a lot less. And so I, I get that. And that could be an argument against minimum wage. But at the same time, like it, it, like, I feel like people are getting rich off of these differences in state, um, you know, in, in the, in the uh, cost of living, um, you know, in some ways, meaning like, you know, they're selling their house in California and they're buying a house in the South or whatever to, you know, because it's so much cheaper and they're taking advantage of it in that way. But the the fallout of that of, of allowing such a difference um, in the amount of minimum wage that that you pay to somebody in di- between different states is that suddenly like you have all these different needs you know so somebody's need in California isn't the same need as they have in Alabama you know so you know so six dollars an hour is sort of enough to get by in Alabama but those people are stuck there like like the people who are at the bottom. <laughs> You know, wherever they are in 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 their in your the state that you just happen to be born in or whatever you find yourself in, like you can't leave because it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're never going to be able to afford the state that treats their workers better. And and so it it just it has this really weird effect. You know why why do we have all these different rules for all these different states? Why can't every state just work together so that it, when you want to move, you can move? And, you know, if, if you want to stay, you can stay. And that's great. But like we play all these games to avoid having to deal with it. And ask really quickly, when I was interviewing for our jobs, several of them, because I was interviewing for remote, um, when we talked about salary, a lot of the companies were like based in New York or based in California. Right. And they would like have a little chart that they had somewhere and tell me what I would get paid be- by living in Austin. Have you guys experienced that? So like, they would like, okay, so you're a 5% reduction from the whatever. So they were kind of setting their own like minimum wage based off of where I lived. Gotcha. Have you guys that? I have um, never. <laughs> I, I've kind of had that. Not it wasn't that scientific. Um, you know, I I occasionally work for reality TV crews, and 
And one thing I found, and maybe this is almost the opposite of what you're saying, but I have experienced what you're talking about. Like the, um, I started off working in like the San Francisco area, which is one of the most expensive places to live. Um, and, and I was getting paid $150 a day um, to work on these reality TV crews. And then I moved to the South where, where the minimum wage was literally half as much as what San Francisco's was. Hmm. Um, and I got paid the same amount, like because they come out of New York or whatever, like that was the same amount, you know? So, Hmm. so it's worth a lot more to me now than it was then. Then it would like barely pay for my rent and my gas to get to the job, you know, but over here, like it pays it, you know, if, if I stuck with it, I was really into it full time, like, you know, I could probably buy a house with it. So I don't know, yeah. I, I, they almost did it the opposite way where like, they kind of, they just paid everyone the same, no matter what, whereas they should have been paying me a ton more in San Francisco. <laughs> well, I, I watched this earlier. I watched this uh, um, video and it was, I think some NBC news video and uh, they were asking a they interviewed a store owner in San Francisco and they interviewed an employee at, I think it was at a grocery store in San Francisco. And they asked the employee um, who I think was making whatever the minimum wage is in San Francisco. I'm not sure what the number is. It's somewhere in the teens. Um, they're like, you know, what, what would you be doing at seven twenty five an hour? And he was basically like, I wouldn't survive. I would be on the streets. Like there would be nothing right. I could do. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a reality. So some of so some of the main arguments um, against minimum wage, we probably should get to that. Yeah. Um, you know, some you know some people think that that you know true capitalism is one that's that's free of any government regulation of the markets. Um, that again, that's libertarians. Um, that, that's they basically believe that the market will self-regulate sooner or later. My problem with that is the later. Like my yeah. problem is that. You might be dead by the time the gov- by the time the market adjusts, <laughs> you know. So, so well, that doesn't quite work out. We were discussing before the show where I, I kind of saw that happen. Um, you know, I had a job in Montana, and um, you start at uh, started at minimum wage, um, and then each year you got um, a quarter added on. And the minimum wage in Montana at the time when I started was eight twenty five. Now it's eight fifty. Um, but I was talking to a friend of mine who's up there, uh, and a couple years ago, they were struggling to get employees because no one wanted to do the work for that low of pay. And so everyone was working at you know these restaurants in town where you can make $11 an hour or whatever it may be. And so um, it took the market kind of catching up to them to force them to raise their pay to $11 an hour and actually attract employees again. You know, one problem I have with, this is kind of just everyone. Um, I mean, just every, I've heard this so many times is when minimum wage goes up, especially, but anytime, but when it goes up, especially if it goes up a lot, suddenly nobody wants to be equal. Every, because it's a capitalistic system, everyone wants to fight for as much as they can get, right? But what happens is, you know, like, like if, if uh, let's say minimum wage goes up next year to $12 or whatever, federal minimum wage from seven twenty-five, suddenly, like, because people who are flipping burgers and all those stereotypical jobs are getting $12 an hour, suddenly, you know, people, let's say a nurse or something who's right now making, I don't know, say like $14 an hour or something like that, they're going to be like, wait a minute, 
So for $2 less an hour, I, I don't have to worry about anyone dying, you know, like mm -hmm. I can just sit there flipping, you know, I, I didn't have to go to school and all these different things. And so suddenly like everybody thinks that they should get that exact lift and pay. And what, and what happens then? Well, suddenly everything goes up because they have to pay everyone more the exact same amount. And, and it almost feels like this, like, you know, chicken and egg scenario where like, you don't know which came first, like, and they kind of keep chasing each other, you know, back and forth of, of trying to keep up with each other. So like, I definitely feel that problem that happens, but I really think that is a, um, a product of it's suddenly going up and people becoming so aware of it. You know, like yeah. the fact we're doing a show about it means that it was in the news. It, people are talking about it. It's a big thing. You got people on the far left that are outraged that Biden is so moderate and he's not, you know, he doesn't care as much as Bernie Sanders would have about the issues. You got people on the right. that are like, Oh yeah, that, you know, all these, they're going to kill all these small businesses. And it's this huge issue where it, this should be the most boring issue that there is, you know, <laughs> this should be something that, like librarians fall asleep when they hear like like the, <laughs> it shouldn't be controversial it should just go up gradually and we shouldn't even have to think about it mm -hmm. that's where I, I always love the idea and i i think it's super petty and dumb how everyone's like you know we should make politicians live on the minimum wage and it's it's my favorite thing to hear but i'm like they it, like it's a point like i, I get it because they're already I, billionaires it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> it's pocket change you know <laughs> they don't care but it, it, and it is a shame though that like it's it's kind of the same argument i see people say um um they you know oh like let's raise the minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour and they're like oh so now what should teachers be paid eighty thousand dollars and i'm like yeah, i think yes <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, I think so <laughs> Um, but you know, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, and Congress does give themselves regular raises in pay. Um, although they haven't for a little while, actually it was mm -hmm. 2009, the last time that they raised their pay, but they, but they give themselves a lot more raises in pay than, than they do to the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, um, I think rather than making them make minimum wage. I think it'd be interesting if there was some law that they couldn't raise their own wage unless they raised minimum wage by the same like percentage or something. I'd love that. Um, that'd sense. be fun. That makes yeah. perfect sense to me. You guys need to raise because you need to keep up with whatever's going on mm -hmm. and therefore so do your so do we. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, Don't think about it too much or it'll make you angry, guys. <laughs> So right now, minimum wage laws um, are seven twenty-five. Say that you can't pay an employee less than seven twenty-five um, per hour. Um, which um, I don't know where you're going to put this Chris Rock clip. I don't know if you've already played it in the episode. It, but. it just it it goes to show. We here's this Chris Rock clip. Hey, you know before I started comedy, I used to work at McDonald's making minimum wage. Do you know what it means when somebody pays you minimum wage? You know what your boss was trying to say? It's like, hey, if I could pay you less, I would. But it's against the law. Now, minimum wage used to come up to about $200 a week, and then they would take out $50 in taxes. That's a lot of money if you're only making $200 a week. That's kind of like kicking Monday and Tuesday in the ass, okay? And it, it's just so accurate to show 
that it's still the same exact conversation that we're having today. It was the same thing in the 80s. It was the same conversation in the 90s. Rock on SNL. Yes. <laughs> and it's, you know, it, was, it was doing a segment on Weekend Update, which it's funny. If you watch the video, it says, um, right before it goes into saying it, it says, um, like, editorial statement. So SNL was very quick to make sure that was, like, <laughs> an opinion statement alone by Chris Rock. Uh, but it's just it's just it's accurate you know like it, the whole idea of if i could pay you less i would it, it's it's kind of a great irony of like this is just stopping you know stopping the man from doing exactly that i mean isn't it sad that there has to be a minimum wage you know i mean it, it's it, when you get a job that pays you minimum wage you don't feel as good as you as you do you know when when you have the incentive to go in and they're paying you a wage that you, that you know is what you need to get by. Um, you know, so I, I wish that more jobs started off by saying, Hey, you know, we want, we want you to work for us no matter what this is. Like, I think this happens at the top, but I mean, at the bottom, you know, whatever you're doing, um, you know, Hey, we want you to work for us. We want to give you a chance. What do you need? Have yeah. we have all three of us worked minimum wage jobs? Yeah. Okay. Not, since, not since college. But um, I've been on the other end of Dale and, you know, Dale and I used to work together. We Our company wouldn't let us pay our employees what they were worth. And we saw that as an employer, we could not attract the talent that we needed. And we both Dale and I just felt like, you know, we can't really blame these people for not doing what we want them to do and to go above and beyond. Why would they? We're paying them such a low wage. Why should we expect these employees to go above and beyond for us? So as an employer, you'd think it would be an incentive to them to pay someone enough to make them feel valuable, to make them want to come to work because that, that might show through in their work ethic. Mm -hmm. But it, it comes back to the argument against higher wages and against a higher minimum wage is it can be very hard on the company. So I, I understand it. Do I agree with it? No, but I, I understand how for a company you, you have to protect yourself, I guess. And, Cutting wages yeah. or keeping wages low is a great way to do that. I mean, we talked about that in the private prison episodes. What's uh -huh. the best way for them to save money and cut costs? Cutting employees, paying less, you know, cutting all this stuff. You cut. That's what you do. Yep, definitely. One argument I've heard, and I think this is probably true, um, and this is an argument against um, minimum wage laws, I think this probably is true, but I just don't think it matters that much. Um, the argument was that if by having a minimum wage, it eliminated jobs that basically couldn't bring a return on the higher investment you had to put out to have those employees. So it's kind of what you're saying already. Like, um, But one thing I hadn't considered was not just company by company, like you might hire less guards at a, at a prison or something like that. Yeah. But one thing I hadn't considered was I wonder if when minimum wage started or when it went up at a certain point or maybe just continually, um, if if it actually has over time eliminated jobs and whether or not that is a good or bad thing. You know, if you were an elevator operator, for example, you know, did did that did minimum wage laws push forward the technical evolution of an elevator being automated and not needing that job anymore? And so that's that's actually a perfect argument. That's something that is quite frankly happening and it's it's a way that um employers and companies basically circumnavigate the 
rising minimum wage and having to pay employees that. In that video I talked about earlier with that employee uh, who lived in San Francisco, um, the employer basically talked about um, the idea that, you know, I have to start paying my employees, you know, $15 an hour. I can't afford that necessarily. So what I'm going to do is, you know, there's so much more technology out there that I can utilize in my business. I'm going to do that. And he's like, you know, I've done that. And now I have three more locations. Right. And so yeah, his, he was really smug in that video. Yeah. And so, that, yes, very. But <laughs> I'm that, richer because I dropped employees was his argument. Yeah. And so that's something that realistically does happen. And it's it's the whole idea of entrepreneurs seeing a problem and finding the most profitable solution for them. Right. And is that a bad thing? Like, I almost feel like, like, it's not that libertarians are wrong about market adjusting. It's just that I think they might, like, I don't think they go far enough with it in a way. Like, you know, like, I think that possibly gradually eliminating jobs that really aren't worth that low of money or meaning, or like it doesn't, you know, add to the, the business's um, profit or whatever. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, as long as it doesn't happen overnight, you don't want all, mm. all kinds of people being out of work and, you know, overnight because it just doubled, in, you know, the minimum wage. But if if we're talking about, you know, 30, 40 years and going from elevator operators to elevators, like, are we really missing that job that much? Is there anybody that really loved that job so much that, you know, they wouldn't be just as happy doing something that is more um in more in need of their their human qualities <laughs> rather than just you know what a computer can do like if you're if you're doing a job that it can be replaced by a computer you know you might want to have find skills that aren't replaceable because it's something that you add as a person to the you know to the value of your job um if if all you're doing is just flipping a burger or something like that like you might enjoy it but at the same time like are you really living up to your own best standards and is it a big deal that that job is slowly being eliminated well but that i to me at least that kind of it, it ignores the fact there are, are people who maybe their skill set or their capabilities only allows them to be an elevator operator. And I, to me, it, and I know disenfranchisement isn't necessarily a good word because that that's in terms of voting and whatnot, but kind of an allegory, I guess you could say it's, it seems like a disenfranchisement of labor for a lot of people to disregard that and saying, Oh, well, a computer can do that. But maybe, right. I mean, but, maybe it's a thing it's where not, they like, need to grow with the market about, as well. It's not just about skill, though. Like, like some jobs, you get hired one hundred percent for your skill. But, but you know, but just because you you can't be an elevator operator doesn't mean that you can't get a job as a customer service, you know, person selling something. You know, maybe you're, you know, you get out of one job and that same skill is much more, um, you know, profitable or interesting or whatever doing it in a in a different arena like it's not like it doesn't have to be eliminated if it's if it actually does help the company in some tangible way where they would keep it or if you go into business yourself you know i mean like i'm a photographer <laughs> i mean you know cell phones should have eliminated me decades ago i mean or you know so uh, but yet you know even though some things get eliminated other things are still needed and in a way because less people have cameras than they did 20 30 years ago then 
you know, in a way, like I'm more valuable than ever because I'm the only one with an actually good camera that's in the right place or whatever. So, so sometimes it's just a matter of, of taking whatever it is that you do best, whatever skill or whatever personality thing that is, and applying it to something that actually has a value in the now and not worrying about the jobs that don't need you. That actually, um, um, this is actually a good point to kind of talk a little bit more about the the history of yeah. the minimum wage because it, it kind of draws to the whole point of the minimum wage was created because the people in those lower positions were the value of the industry. They were what made everything happen. Um, right. And although the... Um, uh, uh, Fair Labor Standards Act was written in 1938. The kind of start of the fight for the minimum wage actually started in 1912. Um, it was the 1912 Bread and Roses strike. What and was that? I didn't read about that. It was so that was a strike in Lawrence, Massachusetts, in 1912, oh. and it was basically a bunch of uh, textile workers um, going on strike over just poor conditions, poor wages, and it was actually. Um, uh, women that led this strike, um, which at the time um, was um, not um, in terms of uh, women leading these industrial strikes wasn't super common, um, but they were the leaders of this um, because they were basically arguing we're having to carry the duties of working and um, mm-hmm. you know taking care of our womanly duties at home at the time um, <laughs> that we deserve higher wages. And so that actually led to um, Massachusetts being the first state to enact a uh, minimum wage law. And after that, I think um, up to like 1929, there was another, I think it was like nine states, I think, also enacted minimum wage laws and people followed suit. And then all of a sudden, Great Depression happens, things go downhill um, in 1933, it kind of all led to the creation of the National Industrial Recovery Act that was ran by the NRA, the National Recovery Association. And what this act okay. did was it basically... Not the regular NRA. No. <laughs> Not the right. It is the Different National one. Recovery Association. And what this National Industrial Recovery Act did in 1933 was it gave FDR the power, I guess you could say, the foresight to regulate industry because before that the president didn't really have that power and so this was kind of the first step in fdr being like all right i'm gonna take control of some things so from there fdr struggled a lot with the supreme court uh, because the supreme court kept striking down minimum wage laws as unconstitutional and they actually deemed the nra as unconstitutional organization Um, but they ended up the supreme court ended up cracking underneath the pressure of fdr um, because FDR is awesome. And, and the Great Depression and the fact that half of the country were unemployed at the time yes. or working at starvation wages. I think that might be a little bit more the reason, though, too. <laughs> yes, uh, because at this point, um, the um, the New Deal is starting to come to formation. And you have all these different programs, all these different things that are coming to light, um, especially um, um, coming to the cusp of 1939. And everyone realizes we need more money. We People need money. And so <laughs> in uh, 1937, the Supreme Court finally 
starts ruling in favor of minimum wage laws. They start um, agreeing with uh, the states, and it cleared the way in 1938 for the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act. You know, something too, though, like I think is important historical context is Herbert Hoover, who came, who was the president right before FDR, who was in office when the depression happened wasn't his fault but he was there and he was a he was the last in a long line of conservatives who believed in in states rights and very low federal regulations and anything like he um he he put off doing a lot of these things which actually seemed like made the uh depression much worse uh you know so by the time it got to this like it was it was so needing um congress to instead of protecting business owners only to protect the workers and actually like like bring them to the forefront of what mattered and not just as another cog in sort of the machine. Mm-hmm. Kara, can you uh, go into a little bit explaining what the uh, what uh, the FLSA um, actually did when by creating the minimum wage? Yeah, so essentially the FLSA was a comprehensive federal scheme that provided minimum wage, overtime pay, and record-keeping requirements, and child labor regulations. So the purpose of the minimum wage was essentially to stabilize the post-depression economy and to protect workers in the labor force. So the minimum wage was originally designed to create a minimum standard of living to protect the health and well-being of employees. You know, others have argued that the primary purpose was to aid the lowest paid of the nation's working population and those who lack sufficient bargaining power to secure for themselves a minimum substance wage. You know, that's really important. I just want to make yeah. a note really quick. Like, like you know, some people, they have the, the confidence to walk into a room and be like, I deserve this. But, you know, not everyone does. And I don't think those people deserve to starve just because they don't. You know, that you, some people just like doing a good job and they're not the best negotiators. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they should be taken advantage of. It is very uncomfortable. Women are, we are not taught to bargain. This is, I hear this from women all the time is that it is extremely uncomfortable for women to go oftentimes and to negotiate their wage because it's considered really rude for women to go in there and be aggressive like that. You know, so yeah, you're right, Curtis, like people need to be protected in that regard. And, you know, in fact, after the FLSA was passed um, and Franklin Roosevelt noted He said this about the minimum wage, no business which depends for existence on paying less than living wages to its workers has any right to continue in this country. So I do want to make it very clear that there are arguments thrown around all the time that that was not the purpose of this minimum wage mandate. Yes, it was. It was originally made to live on. It was not made. He did not say, we're going to make this so college students can go work at McDonald's. Nope. This was made so people could live on. And at some point we strayed from that. Well, and, you know, this whole argument that the market will correct itself and that people will just do it either out of the kindness of their heart or the need to continue going the business, like there's, it's very limited argument because there's always a way around it. You know, there was slavery for the longest time. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, and then as you know, there's child labor. Look, regulations don't always have to be anti-business or anti-capitalism, but sometimes they do need to be pro-human and pro-protecting humans, you know? Go humans. And I, I I'm think, on team human. I think that's <laughs> something that gets incredibly lost in translation for people who are against the federal minimum wage being raised because for people like 
us, you know, I'm kind of grouping us all in. It's 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 a human thing. Like people need this to have better lives. But what I get from this, uh, the sense that I get from a lot of people who are against it is that they don't see it necessarily as a human thing. They see it as a an anti business thing. And, right, right. It doesn't need to be. And no, it it absolutely does not. And that's where I think. If we were to say tomorrow minimum wage is $15 an hour, I'd be like, whoa, that would shut a lot of businesses down. Sure. But as it stands, how it's being proposed, a gradual increase over the next five years. I would even extend it over the next 10 years if need to be to make it not necessarily like, all right, businesses, do it. But like, hey, let's work together so that everyone can fluidly like be in a cohesive economy. Well, I think also it's, remember that those people that are going to start making, if they're making $15 an hour, they can also probably contribute a little bit more to the economy. Like it's also a form of stimulus. It really yeah. is. I, I remember I ha- I've had that exact stance since I was a kid. I think I was in like seventh grade and for, you know, it was like a, a four paragraph essay. I chose the stance of whether or not to raise the minimum wage. And that was my argument then. And it's my argument now of, give people the money and they're going to spend it, you know? Well, and especially if, you know, if you're like Walmart or these big companies or whatever, like people are already spending their money at your business. Like they're just going to give you more of the money. You know, if, if you give them more money to give you like, you know, I love this, this idea in the new, in the new deal legislation in which they finally recognized that workers were also consumers. Like, just think about that. Yeah. That Before that, they never thought about that. They always thought that their workers were not the class of people that would also buy from them. And that's so stupid. You know, maybe if you're making yachts or something, but if you're making, you know, Oreos or something, like, um, they're your consumers, not just your workers. And you should treat them well. I think my, my absolute favorite image to represent that exact quote and that's a wonderful quote workers were also consumers is when i'm at the store and i see you know i'm at heb which is a texas grocery chain and i see an heb employee who just got off their shift and they're in line in front of me with their groceries right i'm like that's that's a direct example of that exact point Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too off topic here, but I have to throw in um, Bernie Sanders, I'm pretty sure is the one, um, along with a couple other people in politics, but he basically made an argument and said, look, if you're Amazon or you're Walmart or you're whoever, these large corporations and your employees uh, are on welfare, you actually need to start paying those taxes because essentially Americans are subsidizing these companies to pay their employees less. That's what we're doing. We are subsidizing companies and saying, look, we'll take care of the other part of that that salary while your CEOs and your high-level employees are making far more than they need to. Those people do not need to be making that much money until you can pay your employees in a way that they don't have to rely on government assistance. Exactly. And you know, and every every time you raise the amount of money that people make. Um, you, you know, you see so many less people that need to get food stamps and then need to get these different, pu- you know, public assistance um, programs, you know. So if, if you're conservative and you're against, you know, the welfare state going up or whatever, well, you take away the need for that. And mm-hmm. and that has historically shown to drop it considerably and actually even be cheaper. Like if we make the rich pay the poor and bring them out of poverty it actually 
costs us less money as a country, not them, not the billionaires, but us all as a country, it costs us less taxes because it's cheaper for them to get it right from the source. And guess what? They also feel like, like they worked for it. You know, they didn't, they didn't just get it, you know, for free because, because contrary to a lot of people's beliefs, most people don't love getting public assistance. It's not like a prideful thing. You know, it's like something you do when you have to do it. And, and, and I think, you know, I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe it was something like something like 60%, 70% of all Americans will at some point in their life be on public assistance, like for, I think it was like two years or something like that. Like, so it's not just somebody that you don't know. It's literally more than half the people you know will have to do it at some point in their life. And there's no shame in that. But at the same time, it's better if they're getting it from doing a good job and working and being productive. There's, yep, and you know what? Sorry, Galen, I just totally cut you off. Um, no, I was just going to say, um, keeping on the whole idea of uh, welfare and um, that basically having to be lowered with people making more income, The um, Britannica has a, a wonderful, um, I guess, sub-website called uh, procon.org, and they lay out a whole list of pros and cons about raising the minimum wage, and they have... Um, they basically take on each like counter argument and lay out the statistics and it's a, a wonderful article, but they, one of their uh, pros is that exact um, same thing that if you raise the mim- minimum wage, um, it would ultimately reduce the need for uh, government welfare and um, uh, um, spending and whatnot. It's, um, it says, if low-income workers earned more money, their independence on and eligibility for government benefits would decrease. Um, the Center for Progress, uh, the Center for American Progress, reported in 2014 that raising the federal minimum wage by six percent to ten dollars and ten cents would reduce spending on the supplemental uh, nutrition. What was it? The supplemental SNAP, basically. Uh, yes, SNAP. Sorry. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, SNAP by six percent uh, or four point six billion dollars. The Economic wow. Policy Institute Ooh, determined yeah. that by increasing the minimum wage to ten dollars and ten cents, more than one point seven million Americans would no longer be dependent on government assistance programs. Uh, they report that uh, increase would have seven point six billion dollars of annual government spending on income support programs. I always think of economics as sort of a game. I don't mean that it doesn't have real life losses and people dying and you know I'm not so I'm not trying to make light of that, but I remember learning that a lot of billionaires and millionaires um once you get past a certain point of wealth, you start thinking of it as a game. You don't think did I lose you know, am I more profitable? Am I less profitable? Am I worth two billion? Am I worth three billion? You start thinking of it as, as like, you know, did this deal go through? Yes or no? Did I get more powerful? Yes or no? It becomes a very like it becomes just a, just a game to them in a way. Um, to and if you think of it in those terms as say not a billionaire or a millionaire, um, you know, you you because capitalism needs to go on because people keep needing to eat and live and that there can't be a winner of the game and the game can't end you have to keep that game going forward and the way you do that is by making sure that there's enough inclusiveness of all people at different levels of skills and and the money that they make to keep it flowing because if you're a a company 
and you are if you think you're going to be real smart and not and be greedy and not you know pay your workers what they deserve you're actually screwing yourself over because that money is not going to come back to you everything's going to stagnate and and you and you get inequality and the whole game just gets mucked up yep i said mucked with an m <laughs> <laughs> they so they actually talk about that in this uh um article it's written on acorns.com which is a financial website that is teamed up with uh um uh snmbc and um they they talk about how one of the biggest uh roadblocks for raising the minimum wage has been the uh basically the trickle down economics just completely failing um, they talk here, um, CEO salaries uh, grew 1,007.5% from 1978 to 2019, which is basically the same exact time that the minimum wage stopped growing with inflation. Um, the average, um, in comparison, the average worker's pay grew 11.9% during that same exact time period. Wow. And so they say um, in this article that it's it's one of the biggest roadblocks is that all the money is basically being kept up top. Mm-hmm. Um, one of know. the main debates to like that I saw in in the original legislation as opposed to or or in comparison to um, the modern one that I definitely wanted to mention too is is this argument about like like basically they don't want people moving, uh, being able to freely move. Um, it's kind of what we talked about earlier before with like, um, with, you know, the idea of like, if you can afford, if you're in, in today, if you're in Alabama and you can afford to live in California, like what percentage of people would move? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I mean, not nothing against Alabama. I'm sure there's lovely places, you know, but, but, but there would be a percentage of people who would, and there probably would be less people moving to Alabama. So in a way, I think they keep this different in every state to, to prevent people from picking up and moving whenever they wanted to. It's a way to sort of keep you locked into wherever you are. And I, and I read in, in, the, in the original debate against minimum wage um, it, that uh, this is right at the time where like interstate markets first became a thing, meaning like people, states were trading with each other and not just, not everything was just local mm-hmm. like it used to be. Um, that 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 uh, the minimum wage tool um, was was thought of originally um, as a way to prevent capital flight um, to lower wage regions regions. So that's why originally, back in the day, the South was 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 the well, I guess like today <laughs> the South was basically the 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 cheapest place to live in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like all the people, you know, in the North, um, they'd set a minimum wage so that people wouldn't keep trying to go South. Um, and the South didn't like that because they thought that everyone would start going North, um, you know, cause they could get higher wages. So the South was against it originally. Um, and I think that because conservatives had a string stranglehold over the South for such a long time, that's how they originally became so pro, uh, you know, pro business, meaning like that they would defend the business owners over the people because they were trying to keep people in place. Right. Well, it's interesting because we're seeing kind of a version of the, the capital flight today here in Austin 
that basically all these huge tech co- tech companies including SpaceX and including Tesla are leaving the Bay Area and they're leaving Silicon Valley because taxes are way too high, wages are way too high and they don't want to spend the money so they're moving to Texas where it's the market is basically completely wide open. The same thing's true for, you know, why we import things from China or why, you know, or any other country. It's because it's worth more to them supposedly. Um, than it would be to us. So we're always playing this game of like, like, you know, uh, who's the lowest on the chain that we can get to, to work for, for as many hours as we can, who don't have the same uh, regulations as, as where we want to live, uh, which is all these cities and stuff, you know? So why have it different? I mean, other than those people, I get why they do it because they, they make more profit. But like, it doesn't help the majority of people who are actually in these jobs. It would be much better if we were all, you know, on the same page in every state so that this wouldn't be a way that people could make money off of it. And, and I think eventually, not right away, but I think eventually it would actually help a lot of the states that are, uh, you know, that don't have a lot of people moving into it right now. Well, but, and it's it's kind of a thing you wonder that if we do this, this blanket thing if we do a blanket $15 minimum wage that will affect every market differently and so would right. would it would it raise the market in you know Los Angeles and then would it sink the market in you know middle of nowhere USA and i i think that's what justifiably i think a lot of people are scared of in terms of that and i think that's exactly what you're talking about with the south they were like we don't know what's going on <laughs> like what's gonna happen well, that's why we need a gradual change you know we can't just every 10 years be like oh crap we gotta double the minimum wage you know just arbitrarily we have to tie it to real numbers um you know what was really being paid by people and 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 not just you know go overnight to something we have to gradually go up and then you know i think the other thing that we haven't said yet is i think we should do like other countries do um, and not just say for five years we're going to do this until we get to this amount and then we're never going to you know then we're going to talk about it again like let's not do that like why don't we create a law that just says for the rest of time this is going to go up this much (laughs) every year until the (laughs) end of time (laughs) can we have the till the end of time bill like that's that sounds like a cool title to me well and it, it brings into question and you know we kind of have touched on it of what what job i guess you get what job deserves minimum wage what what is entitled as what many people would say an entry-level position because not not every job is obviously going to be the minimum wage but what like where does where does this number go to exactly I always think of it like an apprenticeship, like, you know what I mean? Like versus an internship, which a lot of times is free. Like I actually like apprenticeships a lot more because um, there's more of, a, of an ex- expectation that you'll be paid, but not paid quite as much. So like when I was working on, you know, the reality cruise and stuff like that, I was definitely getting paid less than anyone else on, on set. But I didn't mind that because like I was, I was learning a skill as I was working, I was making something uh, wasn't quite enough for San Francisco, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, but I was making something and, and, uh, and, and, you know, this idea of like, let's go to college, spend all this money, make no, you know, actually pay them to learn the skill, um, and then maybe get a job after it like that. That's kind of a broken system. Like I wish that colleges and 
the different markets work together so that entry level jobs were always paid minimum wage, but would but then would standardize in a standardized way go up, uh, you know, year by year if they kept with a company to um, whatever the the proper wage would be. A lot of countries do that. Like Americans move like I think it's like eleven times per year on average, but like in other countries like the average is like three times in your lifetime you'll move or something. Hmm. And that's because jobs take care of you there. You know, they, you, you get a job because you think you're going to stay for a long time. Whereas here, you know, you're kind of just, just getting by and three to four years later, if you're not making what you should be making, you leave. And, and so it's, it's, people are constantly, uh, you know, abandoning ship and that's not good for business. It's not good for the people. Right. 100%. I mean, in, I've been in Texas for coming on three years, and in that span of time, I've had one, two, three, oh my goodness. four. <laughs> I've had five different jobs in the span of three years, which is absurd. <laughs> like it's insane, and I, and I feel like it's just this like millennial disease that I'm living. But I mean. You're right. It's not you. It's not, <laughs> and it's not me. And it's also that Austin is just an incredibly saturated market. Um, yeah. But it's it's tough to find a job to stick to. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stick with something that isn't paying me well. But also, I'm not qualified for jobs that are paying well. So I'm stuck with the jobs that aren't paying me well. <laughs> so it's if it's you guys thing. were paid well. For whatever job you're you were doing, would you? How long would you stay? Like before, are you the types that get bored, or would you actually, you know, if it was paying well, would you stay for your whole career in one job? If it if it was like the job that I wanted, yeah. Let's say it was maybe not the best best, but it was something you liked. Yeah, I, I think so. I I think the bigger problem too is when you put people in this like entry level sphere, which typically means also they're not really getting any PTO, right? They're not getting a lot of healthcare. They're overworked. They're, they're not happy. They can barely pay their bills. What we get is a lot of burnout. And that's why people can't stay at their jobs as well. Like you get so burned out as opposed to countries like in Europe or in the UK that mandate you have to give, you know, a certain amount of money. You have to give a certain amount of protections with healthcare. You have to give a certain amount of vacation. Like this all factors into this entry level work um, scheme, I guess is what I would call it. And I, I mean, how are people supposed to do this forever? And then how are they supposed to work their way up when they're exhausted a year later? Yeah. If you never know you're gonna get, you're gonna get a wage like that, that uncertainty causes a lot of stress. Imagine, yeah, you know, if every year you worked somewhere, you knew it was going to go up by this amount every single year at oh, the yeah. minimum. Like that, build, like, that lift off. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I mean, that's one of the most attractive things that I think people need to look for in an interview that not a lot of people ask. Um, because if you're, if you're interviewing for a job, make sure you ask the person that's interviewing you questions and one of the questions you should ask is what opportunities are there for growth in the company you know what yeah. opportunities are there for advancement because for me it, it it's tough to stay motivated if i know there's nowhere to go um right and that's where i've been stuck in this rut for the past year basically of 
and I, and I say this where I'm like, I'm just going to get a nothing job, meaning I'm going to go work at Home Depot. I'm going to go work or whatever. And that for me, you know, for me, it's like, oh, I'm going to go get a nothing job because this job, I know I'm just going to, you know, quit and leave once I get something better. But that also creates yeah. for me a sense of empathy for the employer where I'm like, I understand why you don't want to make this investment into me as an employee because I'm not going to be there. I'm like, so yeah, you probably don't want to pay me $15 an hour because I'm probably going to be gone in two months. Well, and, but, I mean, that I feel like that's almost the wrong way to look at it, though. Like, like you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, you don't like us, so we'll just pay you the least we can so you really don't like us. You already don't like us anyway, so who cares? Like, like I feel like, oh, yeah. you know, rather than do that, like, you know, as an employer, you should, like a lot of good companies do, you know, say, hey, we know that this isn't your ideal job, but maybe we can make it so comfortable that you'll consider staying at least for longer than you would have anyway. And those are the jobs that keep the retention of their employees. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess for me, I don't see that a lot. And, and like, for example, um, since I've been in Texas, I've worked for um, UT Athletics. I took a year off to work for another company with Kara. Um, and then I went back to UT afterward and I get paid... Eleven dollar or eleven fifty an hour now since I went back, and the only reason I've stayed for so long for me is because the work environment is so fun and inviting that it keeps you going even though you know you're not making a lot, and so yeah. the work environment aside from the pay makes a big difference as well. Sure, one hundred percent. I read this book. I was it's just in a thrift store. I don't know. I feel like this makes me sound like I don't know super. Uh, millennial i don't know why but like, <laughs> like so i was reading this book in a thrift store i didn't buy the book oh my <laughs> god on in the side part. yep um and it and in this book like i just picked it up just glanced at it, at it and i kept reading it it wasn't because it was good it was because it was making me so angry that i just i wanted to burn it up right there like basically <laughs> it was it was giving advice to like it's, let's just say baby boomers and like uh, of that age, somewhere in that range of um, this book was probably in like the nineties or something. So, you know, when, when the, the peak of, of that era, um, excuse me, I'm going to back far back. It wasn't the nineties. It was around the two uh, thousands when millennials were first graduating high school. Um, and, uh, and the book was basically saying like, it was, it was classifying millennials. It was like, you know, you're going to get these employees and they think that, you know, that, that they should just love their job right from the beginning. They think they should just be, they should just deserve a raise just because they've been there forever. And, you know, you're just going to have to deal with this and, you know, you're going to have to like, you know, to train, to get them out of this, this mode. And, and I was so angry because they were treating the entire millennial um, generation as if, they were just so in the clouds because they wanted a job they enjoyed in addition to a job that also sustained them well. Mm -hmm. And that was just such an aud audacious thing for someone to want, especially right from the beginning, you know? So like this whole idea, I, I, I've talked to people about this before of like, you know, I, I had a terrible first job, so you should have a terrible first job. And they're going to like, they don't want it to ever get better. <laughs> and that's, it's such a bad, bad attitude. I keep seeing a bunch of tweets and a lot of people are like, people keep asking me what my dream job is. Um, I don't have a dream job because I don't dream of working. <laughs> I like, and I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> well, actually it's really, you know, like the older you get, you're like really, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking disillusioned. Like you're like, okay, you know, a lot of people, if they want to do what they're truly passionate about, have to have some type of financial support system or safety net. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I don't dream of working. I dream of being a good employee, getting the job done, enjoying my coworkers and getting paid a living wage. Is that wrong? I don't think so. It's what the work can do for you that, that you, that you want, you know, so when somebody asks like, why do you want to work here? Like the short answer is money, but the real answer <laughs> is money because I want to be able to buy this. Or I want to be able to invest in this. I want to have a family, whatever it is. Like, like you're in a dreamland. If you think that your boring job is the reason that they get up in the morning, you know, like, mm-hmm. like not everyone can do an interesting job. I get that. But at the very least, like it should be a good enough experience that you don't dread going to work every day. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Like- and, and I think by, if you create that environment for your workers and you pay them something that they can get up and pay their bills every day comfortably, they will be, I believe people will be more motivated to do a good job. Like I do think that's enough motivation for people to do a good job because I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. Like I want to work my tail off mm-hmm. for employers that take care of me. I will do anything if you take care of me. And I'll take care of you, you know, like mm-hmm. it does go both ways. I'm not sure why employers think that they can treat employees like, like crap and pay them nothing. And then be like, why aren't you giving me your best work? Uh, are you that, serious? Was, <laughs> that was a big reason I work so hard when I work for you, Kara, is the best. because you took care of me. And I, I had that sense of value from you that you actually appreciated me and you saw the value that I put into my work. Um, and even then, too, it, it it helped give me a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, we had and I'm going to go ahead and just blow the whistle on this one. Uh, we had a, a situation at the end of my employment there where a higher up just in a blanket statement told the entire company that our entire production staff at the company that we should all be embarrassed because we didn't do this certain thing. Oh, and Ooh. yeah, bad word to use. And, oh, and it was just an absolute <sighs> shock to my morale. And we had a production. Well, because you've been busting your ass too. Yeah, and I had been, and you know, I was furloughed for three mm-hmm. months, four months, brought back, and that was a month into me being back after being furloughed. And he said we should all be embarrassed. And I remember we had a production meeting at the end of it. I was like, can I, can I say something? And I got pretty emotional because I was like, I work my butt off. Like I work really hard. I know everybody else works so hard because we're in a pandemic. We don't know what's going on. So we're doing the best we can to do our jobs, do it right. And so for you to come out and to say, you should be embarrassed because you missed this one thing. I'm like, no, like that. And it, and I was like, go a week later, not, in relation to that, um, is because of COVID. But still, after that moment, I didn't really want to work for that company anymore because mm-hmm. I'm like, why? Like, Kara treated me amazingly, and so I'm so happy the person directly above me was Kara. But beyond Don't that, cry, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did as an employer, like knowing that I could trust Dalen with anything was invaluable to me. And mm-hmm. if I was in charge of the company. I would have done everything I could to keep someone like Dalen on, like invest in your employees and you will see returns, you know, that's actually so important. I just realized I just realized I worked for both of you. (laughs) 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 
I know. Kara's getting all the love. I'm a little... <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm Curtis, Curtis gave me my first professional experience in photography, <laughs> and I am eternally grateful for you, Curtis. Thank you. <laughs> well, and, and you were a great employee. And, like, you know, in the... In the uh, one of the things I was going to say is, you know, as a business owner, you want people who care, you know, I mean, you know, what, what I do still to this day is, you know, is do photography. It's a job that, that like people could, they could go in and they, they don't have to care and they would do an okay job or whatever. But like, but if I have a choice between, you know, somebody who cares about what they're doing, they see the value in it and somebody who's just kind of there, like I, you know, I would definitely pick the people who care, but it's not just on them to just, just, care because you care like you have to you have to teach them why it matters you have to treat them like you care about you know them as people and that that you know what they're making is reflective of the of you know the the job they're doing Mm -hmm. and so i mean it doesn't just happen i feel like there's this like employers are always just like you know the that that you know you're working at mcdonald's and that you should just love flipping burgers or whatever, you know, it's like, no, you know, don't, don't put it that way, put it in a better way. Say, you know, we're going to, we have this incentive for you, you have this incentive, you know, if you stay, you'll, you'll, you'll grow with the company this way. What you're doing is you're feeding the world. You know, it's like 1% of, of the, the world eats McDonald's every day. Like that's, that, that is, it's the biggest uh, food company in the world. Like, like you're feeding 1% of the planet every day. Like, putting it in those terms is huge rather than just do your job and you know you shouldn't expect anything from it mm-hmm. but a, but a paycheck and not in minimum wage at that going off that, <laughs> that point too of how you know you're feeding the world mcdonald you know one of the probably the most eaten at restaurants in the world that kind of i feel like that's a good argument for people who who say oh burger flipper shouldn't get i'm like well how many times a week do you eat at a fast food restaurant you know, yep. how many how many times a year do like or how many times a day do Americans eat at Burger King, McDonald's, whatever these places? I'm like, it's the most consumed product in the world. And yet, like, they don't deserve to be paid more, you know, so it, yeah. it, it's very interesting that, you know, I want your services, but you don't deserve to be paid more kind of, you know. Right. No, that's a great, great point. Um, let's, let's, I know we kind of have to start wrapping things up a little bit here. Um, can we get to the, the raise the wage act of 2021, this whole idea of uh, of what it would be? Let's get into that because that's now. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) holy crap. That's now (laughs) Curtis. Why did you bring us into that? Um, yeah. So, so the proposed legislation, the raise the wage act of 2021, you'll be reading about it in the history book someday. Um, would gradually raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025. So very gradual, um, not anything too crazy. Um, raise the federal minimum wage uh, to $9.50 this year, um, if it passes this year, which I don't think it will. Um, but uh, it would also um, go in steps up until um, 2025. Um, after 2025, um, it would adjust the minimum wage each year to keep pace with the growth um, in the median wage, um, so I, I want to make it clear, I, I, I'm, I'm not for sure about this, but I don't think that this um, piece of legislation is even what's being considered by Biden right now. I don't believe there, that this exact legislation is what is being considered. I don't believe um, so, no. It's just what should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we got this from, um, I believe this is from the EPI.org. Yep, EPI. Um, um, and, uh, and so, they're, you know, they're definitely a 
like they're basically a um what's it called like when you um support um you're trying to pass legislation blanking it's on the a, word um think tank think um, tank and yeah. that stands so for it, it, economic policy institute yeah right right um and so what this would do um is it would uh um it would lift 51 percent, which is more than half of workers um uh, they would get the benefit of of this legislation and they would be between the ages of 25 and 54 um only one in 10 people who would who would benefit from this mm -hmm. are a teenager which that's um, so, such a huge myth about the minimum wage is absolutely. you know how many people argue oh you know it's you know just these 16 17 18 year olds i'm like no it's mostly i'm quite honestly it's mostly millennials <laughs> Or, or or the or sort of like on the other end of the spectrum, like like uh, older baby boomers. Yeah, I see honestly, a lot of that, yeah. that age too. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like you said just a second ago, twenty five to fifty four. Like that's the mm -hmm. majority of people on this. I guess fifty four would be um, Gen X, though. So I, I was, I don't, yeah, like right on the wanna, edge. Yeah, I never want to forget that generation because I mean, they're they're totally kind of overshadowed by by uh, mm -hmm. the baby boomers, but they're the ones that are in the workforce today. And th um, th this is a staggering one. Nearly six in 10, 59% are women. And yeah. the glass ceiling is always in conversation. It is always <laughs> there. Um, more than four in 10 have some college experience. More than a quarter um, have children, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's not just somebody in high school. It's, it really isn't. Um, also see, more than half, um, 54% work full time, which is, I think, a very important statistic to show that it's not people that are just, you know, working as little as they can. No, these people are working full full time, if not over full time. We should say lucky enough to work full time, yeah. you know, because I don't know how many people you know like this, but I know a ton of people who they work you know, 40 to 60 hours, but it's at three different jobs all at the same time, because none of those jobs want to hire them full time because they don't want to pay them a proper wage. Yeah. I mean, that's right um, now I'm, I'm, um, working part time and I can't do over 31 hours because benefits. Yeah. I, they don't want to give you healthcare. Right. Luckily I, I get really, Shelby, so. I really, really want to talk about waitress wages before we run out of time. Yeah. This is so important. Um, we've talked about this, um, I think off the show, maybe even on the show a few times, um, but this is super important. So, so when you hear the word minimum wage, you think that that is the lowest you can go, said Chris Rock. <laughs> oh, no, no. You can actually pay people less than minimum wage as long as they are a tipped worker. Um, this is something growing up in California I was not aware of because California is not one of the states really? that, that do this. But South Carolina is. Yeah, um, Montana sadly. doesn't. Kara, have you ever experienced this? No, but my good friend Missy did. Uh, oh, she was Missy. A she she lived up north and then moved down here, and she was like, "What? What? What? what what's happening with my check now? <laughs> what's going on here, guys?" So this is not a joke. You can be paid as little as $2.13 per hour in America in 2021. Even in South Carolina, that is a starvation wage. Now, the argument for this is that it takes the pressure off of the business owners and that 
you will make up the difference between your meager wages you're getting per hour and what you should be getting, which is the 725, the national minimum wage, through tips. So basically, they came up with this brilliant idea that you doing a really kick-ass job at whatever tipped thing that you do um, should not be a bonus because how dare you get a bonus for doing a better job than someone else that they were going to take away that incentive and instead the tips would in, would be an incentive to be alive. Like it would be an incentive to just get your minimum wage like you're supposed to anyway. So that, <laughs> I mean, so they took something that already isn't fun and made it worse. <laughs> Hey, general public, we're going to rely on you to also subsidize people's wages. Yeah. So, I mean, how is that different than welfare? You what know, like, exactly. like your tips are, are paying welfare instantly through, you know, that the business owners should be paying. And of course, because we've established this system for 30 freaking years in this country without raising it, every time the idea comes that, this is wrong and that they should at least make the minimum wage business owners freak out and they say that they will go out of business and they can't afford it and all these different things. But that is absolutely not true. Um, I, it, it's also kind of ironic because it, if more, if people had more money because they made more for minimum wage, they would eat out more and they would ultimately probably tip more. <laughs> So, and this is a this is according to a study that from 2011 to 2019, um, states that had one fair wage is what they're calling it, which basically just means that everyone gets minimum wage. You don't get to mm -hmm. uh, give tip workers less. Um, one fair wage states had stronger stronger restaurant restaurant growth than the states that had lower tipped minimum wage, both in the number of full service restaurants, which was. 17% growth versus 11% in the states that could pay their workers less. Um, and in full service restaurants, 20, pretty much 24% versus pretty much 19% in the ones that could pay them less. So yeah, wow. so um, the, it's a myth that this causes a slowdown in business or that it's too much of a hassle for small businesses to, to worry about. I just, I don't, to me, it seems like such a sleazy concept. Like it, it's it's literally exactly what Chris Rock joked about is if I could pay you less, I would. And this system allows them to do exactly that. I'm like, because could you imagine making two two thirteen an hour and you get no tips that week, you know, and then even on top of the restaurants that pool their tips. So you don't get your own individual tips. Right. Everything goes in a pool and gets dispersed. So you may get, you know, however much, you know money a night and tips but then that goes into a pool and then all of a sudden you get a fraction of what you got at your tables or whatever and you could be. be the best at your job but if you are an unattractive guy you are going to make tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars less <laughs> than <laughs> um you would if if you are an attractive woman and it's a it's one of the i mean i don't know i guess it's sexism but i think you know it's one of the like it's not a problem until they're until until it's a worker depending on money to just live, you know. So like, I, I mean, it's it's uh, what I guess what you're supposed to do is is 
at least I think in South Carolina, this is true, is that if you don't make minimum wage with your tips, say it's a slow night or whatever, um, you're supposed to go to your job and say, hey, I didn't make the federal minimum wage. So um, with my tips, will you please pay me more money for this for this time? Um, and by law, they're supposed to do that. But how nobody's un- going to do that. No one's going to go to their boss. What? How uncomfortable would that be? Yeah. Like, that's so awkward. I mean, it should be automatic. But I, I mean, I can tell you, I know a, a number of people who work for these wages and, and they don't do that. Um, I, I One guy I remember talking to, it was a slow time of year. Uh, he went in for four hours, made his, you know, 10 bucks, um, had one table. <laughs> that left him i think he said like two dollars or something like that you know um and uh and yeah and that was twelve dollars that paid his gas to go to and from work and that was it and he's not gonna go to his boss and tell him hey on a slow night you should have paid me more it's not gonna happen it's so dumb well there's a power dynamic there too right so it's just really unfair to put the onus on the employee exactly exactly I'm um, looking at this article I talked about earlier. It's uh, from the acorns.com. It's growacorns.com. And uh, there's a quote in there, and it's from Michael Strain. Um, he's an economist at the it's a right of center American Enterprise Institute. Um, he argued that it's a slam dunk case that a $15 minimum wage would be devastating to low wage workers in much of the country, even after the economy has fully recovered from the pandemic. So he's you're not going to change his mind. He's fully convinced. It's a slam dunk case that it's going to change. But this article um, points out that this is three decades. Uh, this is wisdom that's from three decades ago. And it's just, it doesn't work now. Um, a large body of research has upended the old consensus that a higher minimum wage um, uh, reduces employment. Um, on one recent survey they did, for instance, um, it examined 138 minimum wage hikes at the state level and found essentially no effect on payrolls. Um, they op- the open question is how high is too high, um, and that's from Arandrahat Dubey, um, who's a co-author of uh, the paper and a professor at UMass Amherst um, that basically um, debunks the um, idea that um, a $15 minimum wage would hurt. Um, small business in America. It, 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 they just didn't find it. They showed that in all these different cases they studied, people weren't laid off. People still made money. They were able to stabilize payroll in these small businesses. And and so, it, yeah, I mean, it just, it's a, it's a myth. Like it's just, it, it it's not accurate that small businesses would crumble. And I think I, I said it earlier that if you were to suddenly Boom, $15 an hour, that's a different question. But if we were to gradually start it up, we would um, it would give people time to adjust. And it also brings into question that if in 1978 it hadn't stopped um, going along with the rise of inflation, we would be fine with a higher minimum wage right now. Like, for instance, if the minimum wage were to have risen with inflation since 1968 it would be at about $24 an hour right now. And the economy could handle it because the economy was built to go along with that. But because of Reagan economics and trickle-down economics that just do not work, 
the the country wouldn't be able to handle it immediately. And the companies get richer because they move those jobs either off overseas or they move them to states that are willing to pay their employees so much less. Like that's the it's clear that that is the 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 biggest thing that stops minimum wage um, as you know being equal in all states. I mean that's such. Ah, it's so aggravating. I, this year, I ra- I think this year and I think two years ago, I raised um, the pay that I give um, the photographers that help me. Um, I think they were already making, um, last year, I think they were already making 11, I think it was. Um, I've already told everyone that comes back this year that they're going to be making, um, if, if they're on their second year, they're going to be making 13. And if they're on their third or more year, working with me, they're going to be making 14. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did that because I have been trying to gradually go up over the years as I could. Um, And so I understand this idea that businesses could be scared that at the same time as a pandemic, you know, Democrats are talking about raising minimum wage, but we just, we need to get the message out there to people that it is not this thing that's going to happen overnight. It's just, we have to start somewhere and there's no reason that we need to wait, you know, until the economy crashes in a couple of years, um, even further, in order to start getting this money back into the system. Have you found that your photographers and salespeople do they perform better with the idea that oh, if I continue this, I'm going to get paid more next year? Yeah, um, yeah, I have seen that, and and I also think that people appreciate that I'm even thinking about it. Like I I can tell that people aren't used to me saying it to them versus the other way around. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, so I think it's, it, I mean, in, in this job, I feel like it's a little bit different because I'm friends with almost everyone that I, that I work with, you know, so it's not, not as quite as cold as like a corporate structure or something like that. So, I mean, I, because I find people that care about what they're doing, like they are, I think, I think they would ought I think they would work just as hard even if I didn't, but that is sort of like, who cares? Like that's, that doesn't matter. Like, like they need to keep growing with, with the economy. And, and I know that that's going to happen. So as long as, you know, my business is up, I keep trying to, you know, have their um, incomes grow as well. Um, And, and I did last year freeze everything for a while because of the pandemic. And I was really freaked out about that. Um, but I tried to make up for it this year by kind of skipping a couple of rungs. So I, I hopefully they seem like they appreciate it. And, you know, I mean, even if they don't, who cares? I mean, they deserve it, you know I mean? So it's like, it's, it, it's the right thing to do. And, but the problem is not everyone does that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're a cold corporation, you're not thinking about those things. You don't yep. think about them as real people. And that's what we have to change. Like our corporate structure is always looking to save a buck. And it ends up screwing themselves over in the long run. And and yet we keep pushing it. It's so annoying. Yeah, I mean, do y'all, I think we talked about this in another episode. Um, and we are coming up on time. So we are uh, going to be kind of here in a minute. But um, do you guys remember that uh, corporation? And I think it was in, honestly in Seattle where it was the mm-hmm. CEO. He cut his pay to 70000 And then everyone was the lowest pay was at 70000 and then up. And... Um, there was a tweet that went out earlier uh, or in late 2020, basically praising how it was such a success. You know, he's seven years in and, you know, everything's going fine. 
and how it's you know such a great success story. And he responded, he's like, you know, it was a success for my company, but in the grand scheme, it was a complete failure because he hoped that the market would follow, and absolutely no one did it. No, so his, no one did. His- Dan Price, and he's really, really active on Twitter. I highly encourage you to have Twitter to follow him, mm-hmm. Dan Price. Um, he's constantly talking about this. He's constantly holding politicians' feet to the fire. He's always like, you can't sell this argument to me because I did it. Yeah. I proved it. I'm very happy employees. And he makes really fantastic arguments on Twitter that are hard to argue with because he is the person that we're talking about is going to be affected by this. Yeah. So highly recommend checking that out. Hey, you guys, do you know, like, if you have to work for a minimum wage, like, like, do you know what, like, makes a man feel rich, even though oh. he's making a minimum wage? Uh, <laughs> Please enlighten us, Curtis. <laughs> so on the show, can, can you can you play can you play a clip of it? Is, is that possible? Like a uh, 10 second? I can play less than 30 seconds. And here we go. doing it wrong this whole time you just did <laughs> a pretty girl to look at you and you're gonna be fine this episode is null and void let me start off by saying i actually like this song and i actually don't it's think just... that it's it, like it, it it did the evil thing that it was that it was supposed to do but but i but i do think it's funny like if you take it to the point of ridiculousness that like in you know corporations instead of raising minimum wage they should just try to find you a mate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that that could be cheaper. I, I do think a lot of people were just That's a really good marketing scheme for like e-harmony, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I do think a lot of people were just offended by this. Like it's a song, like it's bad a lot of a lot of rich country singers sing about you know, being on the farm and doing, you know, but I'm like, you don't actually live that. You probably have a mansion in Malibu and that's fine. But, 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 you know, but what he said though, was that he started that way though. And he, and he did, you know, he, you know, he, he had worked minimum wage jobs. So, but you know, so I think just, he was trying to channel his, uh, his, you know, his, his childhood is, is teenage or whatever. Just the, um, so uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I don't think you, I don't think he meant it to be no. malicious. You just know, the like, timing you know, of uh, singing a song about surviving on minimum wage during the worst economic crisis in the Great Depression, just not the best timing. <laughs> and it's just yeah, a bad song. I mean, if you think about it, though, like, I mean, it's a staple of country music, though, of like, and it is, you know, a- appealing, not just like bragging about it, which you know, can be kind of annoying, but like, but, to, but sort of like appealing to people who who are stuck. Uh, you know, if you think about like Roseanne and now the Connors, you know, it's sort of the same thing. Like, you know, they purposely didn't do the Cosby show because the Cosby show, you know, at the time was like this rich family. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of fun to watch. Like, it's kind of cool to see people who have nice things. But at the same time, like, it, shouldn't there also be music and TV and stuff like that that is about regular people you know and and what you have to do to get by and and i don't think it's necessarily like like even if he was rich his whole life i don't think it's necessarily like not empathetic to to channel into that and be like you know real richness is 
is uh, you know a happy life, which I think yeah. is what he was saying. You know, so I don't know. I think I, th- I think it's one of those things that like the Twitterverse just kind of got a hold of, and yeah. it was bad timing. And you know, and maybe they shouldn't have called it minimum wage. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I told I but, told Shelby I was like I like I can love you with every fiber of my being, <laughs> and with all that love, it still will not pay our rent. <laughs> But before we've earned it the money has all been spent wait that wait what is that (laughs) is that jefferson no wait what is that oh my gosh is that sunny and share oh god i don't know i have no idea (laughs) it it was like it's something like our love won't pay the rent but like before we've earned it our money has all been spent oh my god i'm i'm googling it right now hold on wait 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 yes it's got i got you babe so i just watched uh, groundhog day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so this song is on my mind <laughs> before it's earned all our money has all been spent you know and that's how it feels uh a lot to people i get that but at the same time i got you babes the same idea mm-hmm. you know even well, though we don't have money we have our, each other and so i don't know i think it's okay <laughs> minimum wage folks go listen to it's it a, if you want i guess I, if you can afford it on spotify <laughs> if you can afford your spotify subscription on your minimum wage oh lord oh what a terrible ending to this episode <laughs> <laughs> okay um if, I mean, if you have to laugh or else you'll cry i mean that's that's, you how, gotta I, that's how i laugh. feel about it um there was a lot of content in our notes like i said this was a more of a kind of discussion episode um and so there's a lot of content in our notes that we didn't uh cover super thoroughly so if you want to take a look um by all means it's always uh underneath the episode player on the website um if you want to get a hold of us send us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com uh check us out on the facebook machine as well as the instagrams um uh, curtis Kara, do y'all have anything you want to plug for today's episode yes yes um i just saw an awesome movie that is not getting enough attention um called the mauritanian Mm. um it's with, well, Jodie Foster is the big name, but I actually don't know the other main guy's name who he just got nominated for a Golden Globe. And he was really good. Um, but it, it is an excellent movie. Uh, it got a couple of Golden Globe nominations, but not for Best Picture. Um, and it's essentially about a, um, a person that was accused of being um, somewhat involved with 9-11 with the like recruitment for 9-11 oh, man. um and he uh gets arrested and spends years in guantanamo bay um for uh for without getting charged for any crime um and the the at least the way that the movie put uh, uh, shows it is that they basically were just kind of interrogating him for i think it ended up being like 15 years um without ever charging him and oh the main character yeah main character jody foster um is uh somebody that um is a pro bono lawyer or she's doing it for pro bono in this case um and and wants to basically defend habeas corpus um in the constitution and say charge him or move on um and and uh, it's the struggle of of getting um the u.s government to to live by those words, even though there's so much anger about, about nine 11 and, and at least the insinuation in the movie is that because they're not charging him, they really don't have any evidence that he was involved mm-hmm. in it. Um, and, uh, and, and he's just kind of a, 
kind of a witness just under under duress this whole time. So it's it's a it's a great movie. I thought it was really filmed well, and you should check it out. It's in theaters now, and I'm sure it'll be on on video pretty pretty quickly. All right, go check it out, everybody. Uh, Kara, anything you want to throw out into the plug world? Nope, nothing today. All right, y'all. Um, that'll do it for today's episode. So stick around. Uh, I think our next series is gonna be another heavy hitter. So uh, stick around for that. We'll talk to y'all in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.